tell them here and let them be Well, I got something deep inside of me I can't hide it anymore It needs to be so free There's no Welcome to the show. My guest is a writer and a friend of mine, people around the world. Let's welcome Robert Wu. Hello, everybody. So I like to start off by asking a couple questions because your uh, geographic story is has been a mystery to me. Okay. Because, uh, and this is a sports-related thing because that's, I know, something you're a fan of. Yeah. Uh, spent a lot of time in Boston. Yes. But a San Francisco 49ers fan. Yes. But not originally raised in San Francisco. No. We need to like... You know, are you going to unpack that? Unpack that, yeah. It's actually pretty simple. So I grew up in Hawaii. Oh. So the closest team, almost geographically, maybe besides the Oakland Raiders, but the closest team back then were the 49ers to us. Okay. Right? And in fact, Hawaii has a huge... If, if there is one football team for Hawaii, it is the 49ers because they were so dominant in the 80s and early 90s. Yes. Very close to us. All the games were shown there. Oh. Yeah. I actually didn't know that because yeah. my love for the Raiders surpasses all. And yeah, I am not concerned with other teams. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but in all seriousness, uh, I think... Uh, so I kind of will just tell the, the listeners our, our brief history, which is uh, I met you at like a networking function, mm-hmm. like a writer's networking function. Yep. And at those things, I'm usually a little bit either cautious or protective or unsure of who you're meeting and how things come out. And sometimes there's a lot of business cards exchanged and nothing happens. Right. And that that's part of it. Yeah. And, and that's fine. But... We actually have kept in touch Mm -hmm. and like you've helped me out on things such as being on this show and some other writerly things I've been a part of. Yeah. So thanks. Yeah, no, thank you for keeping in touch as well. I, I, it's hard. I mean, we're both Asian, so it's hard to, it's a smaller circle than we would like out here. So I think it's very important to like help each other out. Yeah. And I think at times I've certainly had the thought cross my mind of like, you meet another fellow, you know, Asian male writer mm-hmm. and you know that at some point you're you may be pit up against them yeah for work or something but yes. then you know instead of viewing that person as like a competitor you know like if i meet someone that's cool like yourself i'm like no we're you know if he's getting stuff that's great yeah like i'm happy for you like regardless of whether or not i was co- competing for that job right. or not like that's cool like that someone you know with a similar background like ourselves or you know, I think I think working. that's a real worry that you know they knowing Hollywood they're only going to hire one male Asian person for a room, right? So I'm sure that I've lost jobs to other Asian male writers. Maybe to you, maybe, maybe to other people. I don't know. Uh, you haven't lost to me, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's I mean you can't 
you can't look at it that way. Yeah. Or else it's going to drive you crazy. Like, yeah. What's that saying of uh, success floats all boats or, or whatever, like, uh, or high tide raises all boats, right? So if, if one person gets success and that's credence to that, hey, maybe these Asians aren't bad at writing, you know, so right. maybe we should get more of these on. Especially if, if an Asian writer gets more uh, prominent and they climb the ranks and they could hire some of the people they know, it's mm-hmm. always good to be in someone's good graces. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of I'm you know appreciative of that, mm-hmm. the fact that we're cool, and yeah. then when you get stuff going, I'm like happy for you, and you know vice versa. Yeah. Uh, so with that uh, warm fuzzy in yeah. mind, uh, <laughs> why don't we hear now? You, I don't know what you're gonna tell me uh, in this episode, but you did preface that you have two stories, two quick stories that yeah. you're gonna share, and then that are untold to the public. And then we're going to kind of dig into both of them and see, you know, what kind of themes emerge from uh, Robert's untold stories. Yeah. I picked these two stories because it kind of exemplifies the range of my experience growing up. So when we, when my family and I immigrated from Korea, we landed in Hawaii and I grew up very American because I was five years old when I came through. Yeah. But my parents were already fully formed people. So they stayed and to this day are very still old school Korean. Yeah. So there was a lot of clashing of everything, language, philosophy, you know, consumerism. Uh, you know, I grew up with the internet generation and they, they were analog. So everything that we could possibly clash on, we clashed on. So it, it was a tough uh, upbringing in the sense that I was an only child. The, the, all their hopes and dreams were on me because they moved here basically for me. Yeah. Um, but I also had to like kind of deal with them and figure out what my place was in, in the, this world and in the family. Okay. Well, why don't we hear yeah. the first of two? Okay. Yeah. So the first quick story, I was uh, probably like 12 or 13 years old and um, I, Hawaii. What was that? You're in Hawaii. Yeah, I was in Hawaii at the time. Okay. Um, So I had stomach issues one night, and it kind of went on, and all throughout the next day as well. And I realized that I couldn't poop. Right. Okay. Could not poop. Couldn't even pass gas. You know, that's it. It was a bad scene, and I was in pain. I don't know what to do. So. Went to my parents. I'm like, I can't poop. And they fed me some, you know, Korean medicine and, and all that stuff and yeah. whatever foods. And it doesn't, it wasn't where it was just building up in my system. So at the, at, at night we went to 7-Eleven. It was pretty late at night, maybe like 10, 1030. And, um, we were trying to find medicine to help me poop and they didn't know. And they barely spoke English. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm already embarrassed because I can't poop and, and they are dragging me to Seven Eleven, and I, I, I have this distinct memory of this white kid and he's probably like, you know, 16, 17 years old. He's a stock boy basically at Seven Eleven. Okay. And he's like putting stuff away. And my parents, my dad comes up to him, drags me along by my arm, and he says, uh, my son, he, he, he can no make doo-doo, <laughs> like very loudly and right to this guy's face. And I, like a part of me died 
at that moment. I don't know if I've ever recovered from that because it wasn't just the stock boy hearing. There was still like other people in the aisle too, right? Oh man. So uh, the the stock boy was very generous and he just kind of like led us to the section with some digestive pills and and stuff like that. Right, right. And that was it. But I never forgot that because, and and when I was still very angry with my parents, I pointed to that moment as, see, this is the type of life that I had to lead because of you. Uh, I was very embarrassed by you guys all the time. Why won't you learn English? Why won't you be a pal and and not embarrass me all the time? Right. 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 And and that was like a very culminating moment of it just kind of all came together. It's like, you're still Korean. Why can't you be more American? So like stuff like this won't happen. Or the other patrons in the store like Asian? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, like. I mean, some of them were, I guess, because it's Hawaii and you yeah, know, there's a lot right. of Asians there. But, you know, uh, there were still a lot of white people. The stock boy was not Asian. And um, it was just very embarrassing because there's a lot wrapped up in that little story because there's a lot of fresh off the boat feelings. Right. I don't want my parents mm-hmm. to have that accent. I don't have that accent. Yeah. Right. I don't want my parents to like not know the names of medicine. They're supposed to be my parents. They're supposed to know more than me. Because I would always have to translate for them, too. Whenever, like, a telemarketer would call, they would hand the phone to me, and I would have to deal with it, right? Whenever they needed some important paper signed, I would have to read it. Yeah. So for a long time, when I was younger, I was very, basically resentful that I had to be this, the Mm -hmm. de facto translator to American life for them. Right. Uh, I guess... In in hindsight, do you? Because I had a similar thing, a yeah, role yeah. like for my parents. Like right. I was like a translator, and you know I became very fluent in in English and spoke it great and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And, yeah, you know, uh, my I realized as an adult like how hard the English language is yes. to learn, yes. and, and there's two ways to to kind of go either you're just still struggling to try to learn it and you're just never going to, you know, mm-hmm. get to us like a certain level that's not potentially embarrassing to your like children or you go a different way and you're like, I just, I'm not going to learn it at all. Cause yeah. it's too hard. Right. So do you kind of see that now or like, you know? Yeah, there was a, it took a long, long time. Yeah. Like I, I'm in my thirties now and it didn't take, it, it took until my late twenties for me and my parents to kind of reconcile in a lot of things and it, a lot of it was just time and a lot of it yeah. was just us growing older together yeah. right so you're right like I didn't know how hard the English language was because you know I was five years old when I came here and I learned it immediately yeah uh, because my brain was squishy and soft at the time they her their tongues were fully formed you know right when they yeah. came over yeah. So it took me a long time to realize, oh, we just led very, very different lives, even though we're in the exact same family. Right. Um, so I was trying to like dig into the story before we go into like the next story. Yeah. Uh, do, do you know actually what was the cause of your stomach ache? I'm, I'm, I don't know. Like your kid, you probably, I probably ate too much gummy worms, you know, one day and okay. just got all stuffed up. I, I mean, I like, like most Asians I know, I have, I have stomach issues. It's, okay. it's a weird thing. Like almost every Asian person I know has stomach issues. I just think the American diet doesn't 
jive well with yeah. our system. So I've, I've always had stomach issues, but I mean. So I'm just trying to think of like your 12 year old Robert, you're mortified. Mortified, yeah. Which is a slight plug to a project you've been a part of that's true yeah watch watch uh, mortified yeah on, on netflix and come to our live shows and listen to our podcast that's right uh free plug also robert tells an amazing public story on that series mm-hmm. uh but to get back to <laughs> this one um it, it was that kind of like the sort of the straw that broke the camel's back moment so to speak of like i'm really upset that my parents aren't learning english to work. yeah like for them to just yell out in a 7-eleven my son no make doo-doo he no make doo-doo right <laughs> and it's just it was so it, it's a funny story but it just encapsulated and yeah. the other story is very similar to it but it's 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 a more like less funny story um but yeah it it, it was a culminating moment and i i remember it clear as day i can see the price tags in the aisle oh my gosh because it was it was traumatizing a little bit yeah know? and also you're you're getting into puberty right like that age 12 yeah yeah you're you're yeah. right in the thick of it mm-hmm. you, you're too old to be referred to as unable to do do <laughs> 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 oh yeah I, i'm trying to picture how like that uh, how rough that would be for for you at that age and given yeah. like it, you know you know because you want to be cool at that age and and all yeah. that and and it, it was just the just such a floodgate opening of oh my god my family is so fresh off the boat still mm-hmm. you know even though i i see myself as american did you um yeah did you did you see them trying to assimilate in other ways that were not language based or were they pretty firm of trying to kind of, you know, preserve like the Korean culture that they had to kind of leave just living in Hawaii kind of preserve that culture because they went to a Korean church. All their friends were from that church. So they're all Korean. Yeah. They went to a Korean grocery store. They went to a Korean dentist. They went to, uh, a Korean uh, immigration lawyer and, you know, all that stuff. Sure. Right. So they didn't really have to speak English until they had to. Yeah. Right. So they, it's not like they didn't try because they still went out shopping to like regular stores and everything. Right. But it wasn't, they weren't thrown into that American fire of like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to Americanize you. Yeah. You know, the, the only channel I remember my parents watching was channel four, which was like the Korean channel back then. And it yeah. was on that all day, every day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and also, you're in school, so you're immersed in... And I have the complete opposite experience. Right. Right? I, I was in school. Um, I, I grew up with, you know, 80s television and movies, so I was immersed in that culture. Um, it, all my friends were obviously English speakers. And even though there was a lot of Asians in Hawaii, all of my friends were American. You know, they were born and raised there. Yeah. So we, even though I lived under their roof, we couldn't have had more different uh, lives. Yeah, that's an interesting, like, dynamic, which yeah. I have some similar experiences to. I'm sure, yeah. You know, yeah, just being also a child of immigrants and you're, you're sort of the de facto translator and, right. like, you know... Uh, which I still do to this day. As an oh, adult. I still do that too. Yeah. yeah, but but then it's like weirder when you're doing it when you're like ten. 
Yeah, because back then you don't want to do that, right? I was so resentful that I had to do that. It's like, well, I learned English. Why can't you? And you do it yourself. Yeah, or you're like, I don't even know what social security is, (laughs) but I can read it. Yeah. Like I can read the words and I can just read it out loud to you, but I don't even know what I'm reading. Yeah. Um, but but flash forward to today, you know, I, I I like helping my parents, right? You know, and it's a completely different story. And and a lot of what they had me do kind of prepared me for the future. Like I know a lot of people with like phone anxiety, like they don't even like talking to telemarketers or, you know, they don't like um, confrontation like that. Mm-hmm. But since I had to do that from such an early age, I have zero problem. I, I don't have any anxiety when it comes to like talking with mm. customer service or anything like that. Right. You know. Yeah, it's almost like you're you're battle trained. In yeah, way. yeah. So there's always benefits that come out of you know weirdness. Uh, so let's uh, let's hear your second related story. It's very related. And then uh, let's kind of maybe peel the onion on, yeah. on both of them. So uh, the second story, I, I, we grew up very poor because we're immigrants. I think my parents came over. My dad had like $8,000 in his pocket, right? So eventually we, we worked enough or my parents worked enough to, to get us an apartment building in, in Honolulu. At the time, it was still kind of affordable. But I, I didn't understand how small it was because that was kind of my only experience. And I remember when I first went to visit some friends who were white I was like, oh my God, look at the size of their bedroom, right? It was, yeah. it was huge. I, I didn't really realize how small our apartment was. And um, it was very rare for me to invite friends over to my place, right? A, I didn't have a lot of friends back then. And B, my place was kind of small. But one day I did. And like a couple friends came over and we were going to play board games right, in my room. It was, it was this tight squeeze. I, I wasn't old enough to be super embarrassed about how poor we were, so I thought, eh, it'd be okay, you know? Okay. And yeah. in hindsight, I'm like, oh my God, they must have thought I was a hobo the size of that apartment that we were living in. Um, but I also distinctly remember this because we were playing, and all of a sudden, like an hour into this board game that we we're playing, my dad kind of burst through the door. And he, he never knocks or anything. You know? <laughs> okay. He's t- still to this day, you know, he doesn't knock. Right. And he was very upset, and he, he, he said, where's your homework? Where's your math homework? Because, obviously, Korean parents, they, they want me to do. And, and kind of the deal I had with them is that I, I would have finished all my homework and put it to the side so they can see it so that my friends could come over, right? That was kind of the deal. Yeah. And, and I said, it's there. I, I did it. It's right there. And... It was very awkward because my dad is confronting me in front of these white friends that I had the very first time I invited them over, right? Yeah. And I'm just like trying to chill him out. And he was very upset. He just wanted to see the math homework. And he, he, we, I went out there with him and I couldn't find it. I left it on the table. I don't know where it was. And and next thing I knew, he had kind of grabbed a newspaper and he was swatting me with it. Like he kind of like mildly rolled it up and he was swatting me with the newspaper. Oh. Now, that was nothing new. I got spanked. I got beat by my dad all, all throughout my childhood. You know, yeah. they're very old school Asians. You know, I'm not going to hold it against them. That, that was just the culture. That's what they're growing yeah. up with. 
So I got I got spanked a lot, and to be fair, a lot of times I deserved it. Right? <laughs> right. But but this time it was so weird because a I knew I had done it and it was somewhere, and b my fucking friends were there. Yeah. And he was kind of like spanking me in front of my friends. Yeah. And it wasn't like spanking. It it was like kind of like beating. He had a rolled up newspaper and just like hitting me with it on the back, on the arm, you know? Yeah. You know, are, are you shoulders. also like 12 ish? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and I'm trying not to cry because I'm super embarrassed, super frustrated, super all this. My friends are like kind of stunned. They've never like seen this before. Because yeah. Again, they're white, so they're they're not they're probably didn't get spanked, right? They're they probably grew up with full house and they got a talking <laughs> to and they hugged it out and I didn't have that. Um so they they leave. And that's when I burst out crying. Okay. And I was very frustrated, very, very angry. And when my dad finally stopped and he dropped the newspaper, he unfurled it. Guess what fell out of that newspaper? Oh, man. My homework. He had accidentally like picked up my homework in that newspaper he's going to hit me with. <laughs> And I'm like, this is right there, see? And he didn't, you know, Korean dads, they're not going to apologize, you know? Sure. They're just, he's like, all right, whatever. And that was it. But again, you can see how traumatic that was. And it's, it's this exact same story, basically, as the one I told before, but just on the opposite end of the spectrum. It was embarrassing. It was frustrating. It was all because of Korean and culture. Yeah. But this one was a lot less funny. Yeah, so educate me a little bit on like the Korean culture part of that situation of like, is it like the dad, like, is it old school? Because he was like kind of refusing to admit that he made a mistake or oh, yeah. Yeah. was that part of it? Okay. Yeah, he wouldn't, he would never admit that he made a mistake, especially to a kid, right? Ah, uh, okay. and. Uh, to him back then and he's chilled out a lot since then and we get along great now sure yeah and and he's like a little puppy dog now but back then he needed me to do well in school and that's all he cared about yeah right the the final goal was harvard i did not get into harvard and and being a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. So school was all that mattered. Remember, they immigrated to Hawaii mostly because of me. They wanted the American dream. Right. Sure, for themselves and maybe find something, but it was really yeah. for me. So if I wasn't doing the schoolwork that was upholding my end of the bargain, why did they move at all, you know, in yeah. their eyes? And it took me a long time for me to recognize that. You know, I think it's like, it's kind of like a pressure I've always known as well. Yeah. But I, it's sometimes hard to maybe articulate to someone that perhaps didn't is not a child of an immigrant yeah. where yeah. you're supposed to be the future. Yes. <laughs> you know, and like every yeah. grade actually really matters. Yes. Uh, whereas some kids I knew growing up, uh, their parents were upper middle class or had like white collar jobs. Mm -hmm. Hey, if things don't work out, it's cool. You know, yeah. they could fix because there's like a sort of like it's not like a almost like a do or die type situation for them. It's like, yeah, they, you know, 
they go to college and they'll be all, they'll be fine. Yeah, and they have you know trust funds. Not all of them, but a lot, of, especially in Hawaii. Of course, of course, not everybody. Yeah, yeah, not everybody, but a lot of people in Hawaii are very well off. You kind of have to be, yeah. even back then. So I, I was at, at a private school for high school and, and middle school. Yeah, yeah, and that's <clears throat> that's the same uh, school that uh, Barack Obama went to. Oh, yeah. So, so it's you, very prestigious even back then. So you might run in a couple. Yeah, I'm trying to be the second most famous person out of that high school. Awesome. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So, you know, my my situation, much like yours, is very different. We were dirt poor when we came over. I was really the reason why they wanted this American dream. And if I wasn't performing, then, well, why did they leave the comfort of their own culture, their own heritage, and their own language, and to endure being an immigrant? Well, yeah, I think that's kind of what it is part of the, you know, immigrant experience. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously talking about immigration and the current climate and how, when we're taping this, it's like loaded with political heat and all sorts of opinions. But, right. you know, I think one thing that's more like kind of earnest about the whole thing is that, you know, you're starting a legacy somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where I, I grew up where, yeah, their, their parents you know, are multi-generations deep into American life or even just in that particular city. Right. So there's a legacy of professions and jobs. And it's like, you know, like if I, if I'm writing professionally in the entertainment industry, I'm like the first person to do that for my generation or my like family. Right. So like maybe my son goes into it and he'll be generation two, Mm -hmm. but you know, his peers may be generation seven right working in entertainment so like it's like a weird i can get i get the whole like you feel this pressure to start something yeah you know and so you know uh and for i think and i think there's a misconception of oh they have to all they'll have to go to ivy leagues and stuff like that i mean you you do but it's because like it's a tangible thing right like you get where i've where like a harvard will lead a kid you get where medicine will lead yes well back then again and and this was really before the internet became a thing right so back then the most prestigious jobs were doctor lawyer maybe a businessman if you had a really good idea right right and that's all my parents really knew exactly yeah and, and coming from Korea, they knew basically of two colleges, Harvard and MIT. Those are the only names that they knew. Right. I went to Tufts. They had no idea what a Tufts was, you know. Would Tufts is Tufts is a great school. Yeah, it was ranked like in the like twentieth, yeah. twenty first in the nation at the time. But it's not known. It was not known. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, so yeah, I kind of so like I guess this is kind of like, telling you kind of telling these uh, these <laughs> these moments that seem. In a way, they're funny, yeah, right. But obviously, they were kind of these like touch points of, you know, some type of like, you know, what you said, like resentments you had uh, with regards to kind of the differences in approaching American life between right. you and your family. How how did you? Because you say now as an adult, your relationship with them is not filled with all that kind of angst, right? Youthful angst, and and how how did kind of the tide turn i guess it took a long time it just took a matter of years and years and they it was a series of 
failures in their eyes on my part that that kind of set the scene and it's almost like they gave up for a little while yeah so it kind of cooled things down so you know I, I i got really good grades back in middle school and high school and um i was never top of the class but i i, I hung in there and i was doing extracurriculars and the first big disappointment was i didn't get into harvard in fact, I didn't get into most of the Ivy League schools. I sure. had to go to Tufts, which was still, still a good school, but, oh, yeah. but not anywhere near like the upper echelons of where they wanted me to go. Right. And then, so that was a failure. And then the next failure was I became an English and philosophy major. And they're <laughs> okay. like, what are you going to do with that? But I liked reading and writing a lot. Yeah. You know? And I had no idea what I'm going to do. So that was a failure. And then I wasn't going to med school or law school after college so that was a failure and right then when i got my first job it was in hedge funds right so they were actually excited about that oh, I, was, okay. I was making a decent living right out of college and i was working hedge funds as an ex- assistant okay guess what i fucking hated it so i quit that was another disappointment right i right. oh, thought you're gonna be a business person so there's a string of disappointments so i think they kind of like settled into i guess our son is just not going to make it you know and in, in, a, in a weird way, that actually helped me get the freedom to just try different things. So it made me an underdog in their eyes. Yeah. So then I started having a string of better things happen to me. I, I fell into marketing and it was, it was the right time to fall into it because online marketing was taken off. So I started succeeding in, in that. Yeah, and then I started doing comedy, and even though they didn't understand it, I that's where I made a lot of friends, and that's where I got my confidence. I started writing, and I, I started a YouTube channel that was fairly popular, and and they saw that oh you're getting millions of views. We don't know what YouTube is, but that's kind of cool. Yeah, and then when I started like traveling for improv and like um, acting and things, and they're like oh you're on commercials now, and you're doing a movie and you're traveling to Barcelona to perform. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And then, you know, now I'm a TV writer and they're very happy about that. And they're like, we knew all along (laughs) you were going to do this. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. So, so so that was one part of it. Me being an underdog and finding success in a different way. But two, it was just getting older. Like they, when, when they were working and, and we had more time apart, like they were in Texas, they moved to Texas and I was in Boston. It was very hard for us to see each other. So I think missing me and me missing them was a big part of it, right? Time mm. kind of healed all those wounds and be like, you know yeah. what, we're family no matter what. And, yeah. And I want to see them. Yeah, and I guess and I, maybe, maybe there's something to, uh, yeah, with time, just like seeing how things play out because yeah. maybe your parents, you know, whatever that concept of the American dream is, you know, was a certain thing but over time you could see like there's actually multiple ways for their son to earn a living yeah you know and be self-sufficient and all that you know which you know yeah i mean yeah let's 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 hype you up before we you know wrap up uh (laughs) uh you were you weren't just like yeah, you were in commercials you were in a movie with the rock I, i was and kevin hart yes yeah uh yeah you've performed I, yeah, I knew I knew you had an improv background. Yeah, obviously we, we plug Mortified. Yeah, uh, as of the recording of this, you're currently a writer on 
the Kelly Clarkson show. I am. I am. And that's on NBC. Yep. Yeah. And she's, you know, the best ever all time. <laughs> she's, she's very good at what she does. Uh, I'm a super fan. So yeah. I remember when you proclaimed that you were going to work there. I, that was super, I feel like at some point you're going to be besties and uh, we're going to hang out <laughs> like all three of us, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 We'll get like, a beer together. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that's my goal is yeah. at some point, like you're going to have like a barbecue and then I'll be like, yeah, I'll come by. Yeah, and then, there you go. then she's there and yeah. then it's like, we're, we Kelly. Hit, and then we hit it off and yeah. then we're, she's going to sing your voicemail for you. Yeah. Does she sing your voicemail? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be too embarrassed to ask. Um, so yeah, no. So I think that's kind of, Anyway, so I wanted to kind of tout your achievements because, sure, you you, you can grow up in the, a climate of, like, I didn't, like, get the things that maybe my parents thought I should or whatever. Yeah, I, if other people are in the same boat as we are, which is the fresh off kind, um, the, it's important to learn that the world is so different now because of the internet, because the opportunities are so weird. And there's no safety in being a doctor or a lawyer anymore, right? A lot of friends who went into law struggled for a really long time because there are just too many lawyers and not enough jobs. Yeah. So I think it's important to kind of make your way in unique ways. I think the American dream still exists. This is still probably one of the better countries to succeed in. Yes. But that dream has kind of fractured much like television and everything where you have to find your own kind of path and being a doctor lawyer businessman isn't isn't just the only three paths that exist yeah and i mean like we kind of we kind of grew up in that kind of guard or that Mm -hmm. mentality and so like i can kind of see how like in my own case you know being a parent i you know our our child like the same thoughts my i remember my parents saying to me i'm not necessarily imposing on my child because i know that the world is different yeah or like i know what is possible or like no our child doesn't have to be a doctor lawyer uh or whatever because he might be terrible at those things yeah whereas i know that if he wants to pursue making an app there's like right education systems in place right to make him like really potentially great at it or whatever like that's not necessarily a luxury like our parents had as far as like oh you know, Robert's really good at improv, so why don't I get him into Groundlings and UCB for kids, you know? Like, that's not, like, a thing. But now, like, that's kind of a thing. That's kind of a thing, yeah. You you could have your child pursue these, like, very specific traits or goals or whatever. Right. Because the outcomes, you know, are... You can see the outcome, I guess. You can kind of see where it could take somebody. Yeah. but And that's something I had to learn, too, because we have that luxury now to do that. Yeah. Our parents didn't. Exactly. Right. So to think back on what my parents had to go through, I don't know if I could have survived if I had $8,000 in my pocket with a five-year-old kid and I just landed in a new country where I didn't speak the language. Are you kidding me? I, I, I would have like shriveled up and died. So props to my parents for doing that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's same, same for mine. If they're, they're not listening, but yeah, you know, in theory, yeah. uh, so why don't uh, why don't we kind of wrap up? I, how do you? I do I do ask this question a lot, but I'll kind of like maybe do two parter it a little bit. But how do you feel 
sharing these stories that you have been told about your parents and how do you think, you know, it's, I guess, also shaped you? Ooh, big questions. Um, anytime I kind of think back to my childhood, I, it's weird. I realize how unique it was at the same time. I realize how not unique it is because I, I, I lived my life in a very unique way amongst the people that I knew. But when I meet people like you and other people who are immigrants and things like that, I realize, oh, my story is not that unique. There's a lot of people in, in this country that understand what I went through. There's a lot of first generation people. Right. So it, it it gives it makes me proud that I survived this thing, but also makes me think that oh, there's a lot of stories out there that are similar, yeah, and and that's a good thing. There's, yeah. there's a lot more connections to be made. Yeah, absolutely. Similar and different. Yes. As as your because I I actually, I didn't have those experience. Like yeah. I was not swatted. But you know it. enough to like understand. I get, I get the sentiment. Yeah. Right? I get the emotions behind it and why. Yeah. But yeah, like you know you know your story is worth telling as for and mine and everyone else's exactly so, uh cool well thanks for being on the show thank you and uh let's uh give if you're listening in a car give robert a round of applause uh yes but keep, I, I live off of it but keep one hand on the wheel uh unless you're driving a tesla then two two hands applause yeah oh yeah shout out to tesla if they want to sponsor and uh <laughs> yeah shout out to robert kelly clarkson yeah uh what else did you hype up in the show the rock sure Kev, yeah. kevin hart yeah buy central intelligence so i get some more uh, residuals yes yeah, central intelligence go watch that yeah and uh go i won't say go not, i will say for you go 49ers just thank you just thank you because uh, i'm in your residence that's right <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Hey, if you'd like to know when our next new episode comes in, it's easy. You can subscribe for the best story I never told. That's right. On iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher.